Performer from Viva, welcome to Love in Las Vegas. For Ghost Ghost with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you. in the second segment. Going to be joined by Blake of Lovell. He does a great job with Blue Ribbon Yearbook. You're also able to catch him on the Clutch Point Sports app, along with the Marching to Madness podcast, the Blocked on SEC podcast. Guy does a little bit of everything, and in the second segment, we're going to be talking a lot about the SEC, what we're going to be seeing both on Friday with the Vanderbilt versus Loyola Chicago game, but also going to be taking a look forward to the weekend as well. Ask him about the teams that have surprised him, both for the positive and the negative. So we're going to have a great chat there. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUNIT underscore 81. Keep in mind, let her see them. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. I know that some of you guys asked me about home court advantage and what it means to me. I went through this on the podcast about a week or two ago, but you'll always hear during my handicap how I wind up gauging these home courts. I certainly don't give out the generic three points, but it is something that I wound up addressing on the podcast in a little bit more depth about, I would say, about two weeks ago. So if anyone needs the link for that, I've got you covered there, and I'll actually put it in the description box of wherever you're downloading this podcast, so have no fear there. I've got you covered there, but certainly do want to be gauging, let's say, Cameron Indoor Stadium, or as we wound up seeing on Thursday, Hilton Coliseum, Hilton Magic, run a little bit differently than if a team winds up going to, say, Mississippi Valley State. So let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Thursday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Number one goes down. Purdue winds up losing on the road to Rutgers by a count of 70 to 68. And there are a lot of Big Ten teams that the rack has been their house of horrors as Ron Harper Jr. Wound up just putting the team on his back. 30 points, 10 boards, goes 5 of 7 from 3-point range, 10 of 15 overall from the floor, and Rutgers was just really efficient in this game. They lose a turnover battle by a count of 15 to 11. They lose a rebound battle by a count of 35 to 27, but for Purdue, just 7 of 26 from 3-point range in this game. That proved to be very costly for them. They were able to get 15 points and 3 steals out of Jaden Ivey, but you tell that they weren't firing on all cylinders. You only wound up getting Caleb first out there for 8 minutes as well. That was a little bit of an issue. Travion Williams, it is, bar 21 points, 11 boards, but for Purdue just not being able to hit their threes and Rutgers being able to hit theirs. It's college basketball. Anything can happen, and that's what wound up happening there. We also wound up seeing another top 10 team go down as Seton Hall winds up being able to get a home win over Texas by a count of 64-60. to 60. So, Texas is back. The disappointing makers if you bet on them as they went 1 of 13 from 3-point range. Not a great game for Marcus Carr. He gets 10 points, but that was on 14 shots, and... If you take a look at the Texas bench, a grand total of two points off of there, which I thought was surprising because I think that they're one of the deepest teams in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, for Seton Hall, they were able to get off their bench 17 points along with 15 rebounds, including 7 points and 11 boards from Therese Samuel. The 7-11 means he's always open to giving you production. And how about Jared Ronan? 18 points, 5 boards, coupled with Alexis Yetna, giving you 12 and 11. That was big as Seton Hall wins this game despite going 5-21 from 3-point range. And despite the fact that you wound up having a long delay because, I kid you not, 
Referees lost count of fouls. That is just absolutely pathetic. Just like NC State has not necessarily been looking great themselves. 65-48, to they get the win. Now, they were without Casey Marcel in this game. They shot just 7 out of 23 from 3-point range. And Bethune-Cookman, they couldn't get anything going 2 of 13 from 3-point range. But in this game, you did wind up seeing a little bit of sloppier play. NC State winds winning the rebound battle by count of 40-37. So, they're unable to cover the 20-plus point spread. They did turn the ball over just 10 times. And what you'd like is Deron Sebron. Just continuing his dominance. 14 rebounds along 16 points. So he certainly had himself a nice showing. Mississippi Valley State covered as a big 20-point home underdog by a count of 95-80. to 80 as There was no defense whatsoever that was played in this one. There wasn't a lot of offense played between Detroit and Kent State. Kent State has really been throttling down, and Detroit, they've got no depth. So it's Antoine Davis and nobody else, 69-52 to in the final for Davis. He had 19 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, and nobody else did anything to be able to help him out. That's something they got to be taking a look at because with Detroit, they got pummeled on the glass, losing that battle by a count of 41 and 27 and for Kent State 23 points on 11 boards is what Malik Jacobs was able to put up in the winning ways and for Kent State they are right now your best free throw shooting team in all of college basketball 15 of 16 at the free throw line so that was big for them big for Pittsburgh was being able to get a win over Colgate Typically, you don't see an ACC school, a home underdog to a Patriot League school, but we had that here. 71-68, to the final. It was questionable whether or not Femi Olakala was going to play in this game. He did, and he didn't give you much. He wound up having three points. Instead, it was John Ugly who wound up being able to take over things for Pittsburgh. 22 points, seven rebounds, and for Colgate, they were just off with their three-point shooting. Six of 23 from distance. Nelly Cummings was able to give you 17 points, but certainly not what you were wanting to see out of the Blue Raiders in this one for St. John's. They get a win, but no cover against a pesky Monmouth team by a count of 88 to 83. For Monmouth, they go 9 of 25 from 3-point range with Shavar Reynolds putting up some numbers. 25 points for the Seton Hall transfer. You wound up having just 2 points, but also 10 rebounds and 2 steals out of Nakai Rudy, so he was able to do a nice job down low. And for St. John's, they were able to do a good job of turning over Monmouth with 18 turnovers, but Monmouth actually won the rebound battle by a count of 43 to 36. That's something that they are going to need to look to a little bit more, but they were able to get 13 points off the bench from Steph Smith as that is yet another over for St. John's as you just take a look at the Red Storm in general and they certainly have been playing a whole bunch of overs. I believe that they have played just, if memory serves me correctly, two of their games of the under out of their nine. So this has been a bunch that has certainly been pumping up the tempo a little bit. Gonzaga, they always pump up the tempo but they weren't able to do quite enough to get a cover against Merrimack in this game. Barely goes under. Merrimack plays at one of the more distinct ways in all of college basketball if they're a Amoeba zone. 80-55 to 55 the final for Gonzaga. Drew Timmy looked very solid in this game. He was able to give the team 22 points. Pulled in their 7 boards. Chad Holmgren Chad did Chad Holmgren things. 15 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 blocks. He also sold some hot dogs at the hot dog stand at halftime. Got to be concerned a little bit about Gonzaga's 3-point shooting. Just 5-22 in this one. Merrimack, they went 6-25 themselves. But for the Warriors, Ziggy Reed, Jordan Miner was able to help the team get the cover. They wound up having 33 at the team's 55 points along with 9 out of their 20 rebounds as Gonzaga won the rebound battle 56-20. And Merrimack, well, they won the turnover battle by kind of 17-8, but when you wind up getting bludgeoned on the glass like that, it's typically not going to be going well for you. It went very well if you wind up taking the New York Post play of the day. Iowa versus Iowa State goes harmlessly under, and Iowa State able to get the outright win in a game that had a very befuddling line move. You wind up seeing Iowa go just four out of their first 20 from three-point range. Jordan Mahanen was able to put up double figures, but Keegan Murray wanted getting held down in this one. And for Iowa State, they did a very good job of being able to force Iowa into a couple turnovers. A 
team that was committing fewer than nine turnovers per game at the beginning part of the season. So got to give it up to Iowa State that just Midwest toughness in general that this team has been instilled. It is working out very well. What else is working out very well is if you're taking overs in New Mexico games. New Mexico versus Denver winds up going over and in New Mexico they were able to cover the right around 14-ish point line. For New Mexico they wound up doing a solid job with their free throw shooting. They went 24 out of their first 29 in this one. Jamal Mashburn Jr., another double figure game. And you wind up having Jethro Muscadin, the transfer from Kansas, be able to put up a double-double and wound up getting done rebounds off the bench from Jay Allen Tovar. That's not something that I was expecting. Meanwhile, for Denver, they do go 7-19 in their first 19 three-point shots and you were able to get double figures off the bench out of Coben Porter but certainly has been one of the lesser offenses in college basketball right now. And since I wound up doing the look at on VSN. I don't have a final on Arizona State versus Grand Canyon but we're going to be recapping that as if you're listening to this was on the look at from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern Time Pacific Time that's 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. and that's the same time as the Greg Peterson experience is going to be on Friday and Saturday so be sure to tune into the Sports Betting Network for that and when it comes to just trends in general that we're finding in college basketball we haven't necessarily seen anything too demonstrative with regards to overall this season because if you're looking overall Unders are hitting at about a 50.5% clip. 714 under 701 overs. You're not really seeing much with regards to away teams and home teams. Home teams are covering 50.2% of their games. Favorites and dogs have been relatively equal as well. So there's really nothing that's standing out overall this season. But if you're looking at the last seven days, home underdogs are actually 27, 32, and 2 against the spread. But you may recall on the show yesterday and over the last seven days, so you wind up taking out what we wound up seeing on Thursday and you wind up adding in what we wound up seeing a little bit later last week. It was actually more at 42 ish percent so home underdogs starting to make a comeback and you should be banking on this we wound up seeing it in college basketball on Thursday I think that home underdogs are going to yield some great profits moving forward and a man that always yields great information that'd be Blake Lovell over there with Blue Ribbon Yearbook does a great job when it comes to Clutch Point Sports app Marching to Madness podcast list goes on and on the 14 as well he's going to be joining me next going to be talking about CC going to be looking forward to some of this weekend's big games and just going to be asking about some of his biggest surprises this year that's on the other side right here on Coast to Coast Soups with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Veasan Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests. As this man is an assistant editor over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook, you saw him do a whole bunch of previews with all these teams in college basketball. He does a great job year in and year out when it comes to that publication. He covers the SEC for the 14. That is going to be soon probably getting a little bit of a name change when that expansion line is coming down. But he also does the Lockdown SEC podcast, the Marching to Madness podcast, contributes for Clutch Point Sports app. list goes on and on. As we do have Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast, you're able to follow on Twitter at TheBlakeLovell. Last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. And Blake, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you aboard, and it certainly has been a terrific first month of the season. And when you take a look at the SEC, I think that it's been so fascinating to watch so many of these teams because obviously we've had a couple teams that have come out of the gates a little bit cold, but some of the teams that we thought were going to be towards the bottom, I'm looking at Georgia, have been able to pull off some okay wins. So I think that this is going to be a relatively competitive SEC this year with, I think, in my opinion, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Alabama separating themselves from the rest. Yeah, I mean, I think the top half, I've said this to come through, I think the top half of the SEC is as good as I've seen it maybe ever. And, you know, that would have that would have been a little bit better if Florida not lost their last games. I mean, it would be even more, I think, of a case you can make for it. But the top part of the league is very good. You know, like you said, even teams that, you know, for example, like an Ole Miss, I don't think Ole Miss is a bad team at all. But quite frankly, Ole Miss may be the ninth or 10th best team in the SEC. A&M's been a little bit of a surprise. They may wind up being in the hunt. In Mississippi State, I think they're one that's not getting talked a lot about. Even though they're sitting here at 6-2, and two, I think they could wind up being you know, one of the top five teams in the league, perhaps. So the top part of the league is really good. I mean, even Georgia, like you said, getting a win over Memphis. I know Memphis is struggling, but still, for Georgia to get that win, that's a win I never thought they would get. Uh, we can say that. So it is a very strong league. Certainly, Alabama's win over Gonzaga. That certainly you know, helped take the stock of the SEC as a whole certainly Alabama stock. But then when you look at those other teams, I mean, LSU, this is the best defensive team Will Wade has ever had there, bar none, not even close. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country right now. They've been a surprise. I would have said Florida has been a surprise until they lost those two games. It's a strong lead. And when you just take a look at the conference in general on Saturday, I think that it's going to be a really big day for them because every single one of these teams, I feel like they're going to be in for a prime battle. Even the UNC Greensboro versus Tennessee game. The UNC Greensboro are relatively solid. Mid major Missouri is going to be playing against Kansas. You've got Mississippi State, Colorado State in a rematch of the NIT from last year. And you've got so many great matchups. Is there one or two that you're really going to be keying in on in general? Because I just take a look up and down and every one of these games, I think is going to be big for the conference. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, like you said, I think that's the marquee matchup. That's going to be Alabama-Houston. That's a big one for both teams. Certainly, I mean, if you're Alabama, if you can get a win over Gonzaga and then get a win over Houston, you're sitting in a good spot. And by the way, they still get to play Memphis after that. So that's one, you know, two, I think that, that really I find intriguing. Actually, I'm going to say three. Kentucky, Notre Dame, just because everyone seems to be talking about Kentucky and saying that they don't know how good Kentucky is just yet. And it's an understandable point because they haven't really played a tough schedule. But I've still been of the opinion, opinion I think Kentucky, you know, probably is the second best team in the SEC, even though, you know, they haven't played a great schedule to this point. But things start to pick up, you know, when they play Notre Dame. And I think that'll be a nice test for them to see where they're at at this point. Although I don't have a lot of concerns that once February rolls around, Kentucky will be just fine. Arkansas, Oklahoma, that's an interesting one because that gives us a common opponent to look at, you know, with Florida. And and finally, you know, the knock on the Razorbacks has been, you know, they haven't played a great schedule either. And so 
this will tell us a lot, I think, about Arkansas, who I've gone back and forth on them. Not that I don't think Arkansas is good. I don't know how to compare them necessarily to maybe those top three or four teams in the SEC. Or, you know, you can put them in that category, of course, too. But scheduling-wise, I want to see how they play against Oklahoma. It's only one game, but that'll tell us more. And then you mentioned that Mississippi State, Colorado State, I think is very fascinating because this Colorado State team, as we know, is very good. This would be a really nice win for Mississippi State. I think it would look good right now, but I think it's going to look even better towards the end of the season. So that's another one to keep an eye on. I think when it's all said and done, Colorado State has a good chance to be a top 25 team for Mississippi State. Took a tough loss against Minnesota, but as we know, Minnesota starting to look quite a bit better than we thought they were going to at the beginning of the season. As we do have Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast, and we're talking about all these marquee games that's going to be going down on Saturday, but we do have one SEC matchup on Friday. That'd be Loyal Chicago taking on Vanderbilt. Now, those of you guys that listen to the podcast know that I wanted to take a bad beat on Vanderbilt a couple days ago. That game against Temple going over, that was just an absolute calamity. But what have you seen out of Vanderbilt this year? Because in terms of defensive efficiency, this team has been absolutely terrific. Aside from the last couple of minutes of the of that Temple game, they've been able to do a great job. But this offense just is not there right now with Liam Robbins and Rodney Chapman out of the fold. I think that's the issue is, you know, I said going into the season, I thought Vanderbilt would be better. Of course, it was going to be hard not to be just based on how bad they've been in recent seasons. But I think you do have to keep that as the caveat, what you said about Chapman and Robbins. I think once they get those guys back and look at their SEC schedule, it's going to be hard, I think, to be in that conversation of perhaps pushing for a top half finish or something like that. I just I think that's going to be very difficult. But I think they're going to be better, and I think they're going to have a chance to beat some teams maybe that people think they shouldn't. But I do think it's all going to come down to to Chapman and Robbins whenever they come back. They're going to give them a big boost because the thing with Vanderbilt is depth has been such an issue the past couple of years. And we know it seems like every single year Vanderbilt has had an injury to key players. It's happened again this year with those two guys in particular not playing yet. So depth has just been an issue. It would be incredible to think of where this program could be right now had they not had these just key injuries over the past, what, three or four seasons now. And it's just hurt their depth overall. And they need that depth. I think it's going to be a struggle. I feel against Loyola Chicago, that's a good team, as we know. I don't know that the trust factor is there just yet with Vanderbilt. And, you know, the Scotty Pippen discussion, I mean, yes, you know, he's had, for the most part, some really good games. But they're still in a situation where he's going to have to do pretty much everything, I think, until they get those two guys back. And that can put a lot of pressure on on what they're able to do as a whole. It should be an interesting game, but Vanderbilt's just such a hard team to figure out right now. I feel like Loyola Chicago might be a little bit as well, just because this is a team in transition as well. They've been kicking up their tempo a little bit more with Valentine at the helm, Porter Mosier, as we know. He's now with Oklahoma. So I think that this is actually a big game for both of these teams because we saw Loyola Chicago play Michigan State very close in their multi-team event a few weeks ago. They got a nice win on the road against a DeBall team that, lo and behold, they don't stink this year. So, I mean, that has been very nice to see as well. But I think that this is really a big measuring stick game as well for the Ramblers. Yeah, I think so too. You know, that's where when you have a matchup with a team like Vanderbilt and you mentioned, you know, sort of just how quick a game can swing, like that Temple one. Of course, the SMU game, I think, is another good example of that where Vanderbilt was up, whatever. You know, just, I mean, they were playing so well and then just could not do anything. SMU winds up winning that game by 12 or whatever after Vanderbilt was up 12 in the second half. So I think that's where, if you look at a team like Loyola Chicago, they can take advantage of that. And I think with their offense, they're going to have a chance to, Again, if you know going in the game plan is going to be trying to stop Scotty Pippen, and that's going to be easier said than done, but if you can at least keep him contained, you're going to have a good chance with everyone else, I think, to put yourself in a position to win. And that's where with Loyola, you know, the way they play offense and such, 
if they can just get off to a hot start, maybe put a little bit of pressure on Pippen to do a little bit more than maybe he wants to, that I think could bode well for them. And, and I do think it's one where I just think that Vanderbilt is such a difficult team to rely on from a consistency standpoint. Even if Loyola has been a little up and down, changing a little bit of the things that they're doing, I still tend to have a little bit more confidence in what they'll be able to do versus this Vanderbilt team right now. Yeah, I don't blame you there. It certainly is a Loyola team that is very old as well. You just take a look at those guys, fourth-year guy, fourth-year guy, fifth-year guy, list goes on and on. So I think that that's going to help them out in this matchup as well. As we do, at Blake Level does a great job with Blue Ribbon, Yearbook, Clutch Point, Sports App. List goes on and on, and he's joining me on the podcast. And then also out there in the great state of Tennessee, you've got an interesting matchup between Memphis and Murray State. You've got a Memphis team that on paper, and on paper alone, you remove everything else. You remove coaching. You remove home court advantage. I think that this is a top 10 team in all of college basketball just with sheer talent. They've lost three straight games, though, including games against Georgia and Ole Miss, things that I don't think either of us wound up expecting. They lost to Iowa State and getting pounded. Not necessarily great either. And they're playing against a Murray State team that they've looked relatively solid this year. They got a nice win over James Madison. They've been playing some relatively good basketball with K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown being able to lead the way. I'm not sure you wind up evaluating this one. I think that Memphis should be able to get the outright win, but I don't think that Memphis needs to be sleepwalking in this one. And if they commit 20 turnovers like they've been doing, pretty much consistently throughout the year, this could be a big giant sweat for them. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy to win games when you turn the ball over 20 plus times. It doesn't matter who you play. And that's where I think a Murray State team that, you know, Matt McMahon, I think is one of those guys that just, you know, he's gotten credit over the years for what they've been able to accomplish, but he's a really good coach. And I think at some point, you know, he will wind up at at perhaps a bigger job, you know, on a power conference level. But I think right now for Memphis, it is one of those games where, and I said this to someone else, like, if you're Memphis, you've just got to find a way to win. I don't care if you win 38 to 37. Like, you just need to win a game right now. And it may be ugly. And quite frankly, it's been ugly, as we've said. But if they can just find a way to win a game, I think that could do so much for them. But it's not going to be easy because this is a Murray State team. Like you said, that, you know, they can be efficient at times on offense and what they're doing. And this is another group that, you know, it's a little bit of a different team. They're not the most experienced team. They haven't played the toughest schedule. But you know, when you look at Memphis, I think that it has gotten to the point that we're like, it is a mental type thing. And if you kind of go into this game against the Murray State team, like you said, it's not bad at all. Could very well contend for a tournament bid, which they always do seemingly right there with Belmont. I think it could be trouble. And, and look, too, we, can, we have to remember, like Memphis plays Alabama after this. Surely Memphis is not in a situation right now where they're looking ahead. I hope they don't do that because if they do, This is a game they could lose, even though from a pure talent standpoint, like you said, Memphis should win this game probably by double digits. But is that going to happen? We'll see. Yep, I think that this is going to be a game that could be a little bit closer than the experts think. As we know, Murray State, year in and year out, really aside from last year, has always been a little bit of a force out there in the Ohio Valley. And certainly one of the more surprising teams to the worst has been Memphis. And we've talked about some of the teams out there in the SEC. Are there any other teams thus far the first month or so of the season that have really been jumping out to you as big surprises, whether that be for the positive or the negative? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, Memphis, that's just such an obvious one. I mean, we talked about earlier, like that Colorado State team, I don't know how huge of a surprise it's been, but like that is a team that if you have not watched them play, I think that is going to be a team, like you said, they're a top 25 team. They are really good. That is one I would certainly look at, kind of point to as a team that to definitely look at moving forward. Some of the other teams, I mean, I think, you know, Texas Tech, I know there was a lot of, you know, unknowns about what they were going to look like, you know, after Chris Beard goes to Texas and all that. But I think as we all sort of thought Mark Adams taking over, you know, you kind of have that transition where you have someone that's familiar with the program. I thought they got a really nice win against Tennessee. 
you know, earlier in the week. And so I thought that was just something that they hadn't played a great schedule to that point, and they lost that game to, to Providence, I think it was, last week. So I think for them to get a win over Tennessee, that was big for them because, as we know, they've still got the Zags in that game coming up, too, in a couple of weeks. So that's another team that, that I find very intriguing right now just because there were a lot of, I think, unknowns with how is the program going to transition after Chris Beard leaves. I find them kind of fascinating, especially after it wasn't the prettiest game. I could say that, but they did get a nice win, I thought, against Tennessee. I thought so as well. And it certainly has been so interesting to look at so many of these teams. Like, no doubt, Purdue has been able to rise up the board. Been a little bit more sour on a team like a Nevada out west. But yeah. as we know, a lot of those West Coast Conference teams, they've been able to surprise as well. I know that you wound up doing the write-up for the Big West this season for Blue Ribbon Yearbook. And you have to love what this conference has been able to do as well. You really don't have any Big West teams that are going to be in action until Saturday. But I, I have been so impressed by this conference. They've been making me quite a bit of money this year when I've been backing them. And I think that this is legitimately one of the most underrated mid-majors in all of college basketball with regards to conferences. Everyone from UC San Diego to UC Riverside, these teams have all been coming through this year. Yeah, you know, I've always told you that. I think the coaching roster in the Big West, I think, doesn't always get the credit it deserves. And, and certainly, I think you start at the top with that. You know, with what Russell Turner's been able to do at UC Irvine, and then, of course, Joe Pasternak at UC Santa Barbara. I mean, the turnaround speaks for itself. They're just historic turnaround they've, they've had since he took over that job. But even then, like, you go up and down the roster, like Mike McPio, of course, at UC Riverside now, he has taken over. They've lost a couple, I know, close games this year, but they, they're a team that I think will be right there with a chance to have a lot of success this season. You know, when you go up and down the line, like I think that even when you look at, you know, a team like UC Davis and, you know, we know what Barnes is able to do at Cal State Bakersfield, like there's just a lot of very intriguing teams, I think, in that conference. And you even go to a team like Hawaii. That's another one. How do they continue to move forward under Ron Gannat? I think he's done a good job there too. So that is a very fascinating conference. Obviously, if you have a chance to watch them this year, I think you're going to get to see some good basketball. And like you said, especially I think those top three teams right now Irvine, Santa Barbara, and Riverside. Those are all three teams that definitely keep an eye on because they have a chance to to win some games this year. And as we saw, Greg, in the NCAA tournament last year with Santa Barbara, some of those teams didn't really even go back, right, with Irvine when they they won the game, whatever it was, a couple of years ago. Those teams cannot be easy to, to prepare for all the time when it comes to those tournament matchups. I agree with you. I think that the Big West in general is something to really keep your eye on. There have been a lot of teams playing some great basketball out there in that conference. And a man that brings it on this podcast every single time, that'd be you, Blake. You do absolutely terrific work with a little bit of everything. Blue Ribbon Yearbook, the Clutch Point Sports app, Marching to Madness podcast, Locked On, SEC podcast, list goes on and on. So let the good people at home know what's all going on with you right now. And now they're able to follow along with all of your work on social media and other platforms. Yeah, always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, Blue Ribbon is out. And I know we say this every year, we're a month into the season, but it's still such a great resource you can look at, you know, throughout the year. It's just got a lot of great knowledge in there. You know, all the coaching we talk about in there with coaches and just everything. Like it's just a great, resource to use throughout the season so you can find that blueribbonyearbook.com and uh, check it out there still a lot of stuff available if you want to check that out and everything else you can follow me on twitter at the blake level blake doing an absolutely terrific job over there at the 14 he also does great work when it comes to blue ribbon yearbook list goes on and on he's joining me on the podcast quite a few times and he brings it every single time so big thanks to blake for joining me right here on coast to coast soups now a part of the Vison family podcast and coming up next this is the time of the podcast i give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN family of podcasts, and it is always a pleasure to get Blake Lovell on the podcast. He does an absolutely terrific job when it comes to gauging all things college basketball over there with Blue Ribbon Yearbook, does a nice job with Clutch Point Sports app, Marching to Madness podcast, Locked on SEC podcast, Guy does it all, and he always brings it on this podcast, so big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRNSCORTY1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits first, and then the games with six digits after that. This is actually, this time, relatively in time order aside from those extra games, so that should be able to make things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So we are going to be starting with 871-872 on the banking board. Furman is going to be playing us at Appalachian State. App State finds themselves a 7.5 point underdog with your total on this game and between 135.5 and 136.5. And when it comes to Appalachian State, certainly has been a team that has went a little bit more defense-oriented, but you do take a look at Furman, and they're one of the more up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. So you've got sort of a fast team going up against a slow team in this spot, but I do think that things are going to get kicked up because I do think that there's a chance that you wind up getting some late game fouling as well. I set Furman as a 10.5 point favorite. Reason being is that you've got a pair of guys and Alex Hunter along with Mike Bothwell in the backcourt. They're combining for right around 35 points per game with Hunter shooting 48% from three-point range. Furman as a collective, they shoot 40% from distance with Furman. Also one of the best teams at being able to facilitate as well. They've been able to do a nice job generating nine steals per game and then you take a look at Appalachian State. Don't have a single guy that's giving you more than three assists per game just 
Justin Forrest has been off his game to begin the year, only about 8.5 points per game. Last year, he wound up having a similar slow start, and then he wound up picking it up towards the back half of the season. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of your top score for Appalachian State, Adrian Delph. He's been able to shoot 43% from three, 16.5 points per game, but also with this App State team, you don't have anyone that's giving you more than 5.1 boards per game in James Lewis Jr., so it certainly is a whole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of team. They play solid defense, but with Furman having Jalen Slauson, a guy that's able to give you a triple-double on any given night, 17 points, right around 9 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks per game, and it's going to make things very tough, and the ancillary pieces for Furman, like a Marcus Foster, is right now give the team 8 points per game, have it able to step up as well. So, Seth Furman is a 10.5 point favorite, made the total 144.5, so going over and laying it here with Paladins. 873-874 on the banging board. IUPUI is going to be in the red faceoff against Tennessee State. Tennessee State is an 8.5 point favorite in your total on this game. It's right between 128.5 and 129. IUPUI is a school in which is putting the PU into that IUPUI as they have yet to score 60 points against a D1 team. So that has been a big giant issue for them. You take a look at IUPUI and got one guy in BJ Maxwell who's been relatively solid for the team. Comes over from Abilene Christian. 13 points, 6 boards. He's been able to give you a steal per game. Everyone else on IUPUI, they are scoring 5.4 points per game or fewer. Nobody giving you more than 4.1 boards per game. You'd be able to get a little bit of something out of Nathan McClure with right around 4.5 points, 4 boards. So he's been able to do okay. But IUPUI, 18.5 turnovers per game, shooting 26.5% from 3. And they're not playing up tempo to start with. So that's a big, giant issue. And then you take a look at Tennessee State. And they're going to be able to win the battle down low. Kasim Nicholas has been able to give the team 10.5 points, 9.5 boards per game overall. Tennessee State is turning the ball over right around 17.5 times per game as well. But they do shoot 37% from 3. Free throw shooting needs to kick up. But they've got Carlos Marshall back being able to give the team 11 points per game. Diedrich Boyd chipping in their 12 per contest as well while shooting 44% from 3, 89% the free throw line. I just flat out think that this is a Tennessee State team that should be able to roll over an IUPUI team that Right now, they are in strong contention for a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball slot. Set Tennessee State as a 13-point favorite. Made this total 127 just because I think IUPUI, once again, going to be scoring fewer than 60 points in this game despite Tennessee State. Not necessarily being sold on defense. So, taking the under and landed here with Tennessee State. 875-876 on the bank board. Vanderbilt is going to be playing with Loyola Chicago. Loyola of Chicago is finding themselves as a 4.5-point favorite. And your total on this game is between 132 and 132.5. When it comes to Vanderbilt, it's a squad in which has been missing a couple pieces this year. Ronnie Chapman, along with Liam Robbins, two guys that I thought were going to be stars, are currently on the full. We were talking about this team quite a bit with Blake, but when it comes to Loyal Chicago, could only make them a three-point favorite. Here at four and a half, I do think that there's a little bit of value with taking the points on the underdog, just because you do have Scotty Pippen Jr., best peer scorer out there on the floor. 17 points, four boards, guy that's shooting 37% per three. Overall, Vanderbilt only making about 30.5% of their threes, but down low, you've also got 15 points and seven boards per game out of Mr. Right in Jordan right, so that has been helpful, but you need guys like Miles Sute and company to be able to help out with this team. You've only had out there Peyton Daniels for three games, so that has been a little bit tough dealing with him being out of the fold. And then you take a look at Loyal Chicago, and Lucas Williamson is someone that has a holdover from that Final Four team. He's been able to give the team 12 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. He does it all for a Loyal Chicago team as a collective. Has actually played a little bit faster, shooting 42% from 3-point range. They do a good job of being able to facilitate. You're getting right around 8 points and 4 assists out of Braden Norris, so that has been helpful. Now down low is where I do think that there's going to be a little bit of deficiency. Tate Hall has been leading the way at the right around 5 boards per game. His scoring is a little bit down, but also take a look at Loyola Chicago. This is a team that they've got 7 different guys giving you at least 8 points per game, so you certainly do have a well-oiled machine. I do though think that Vanderbilt is going to be able to remain live in this game, despite the fact that they
Tab and deal with some ailments. So, wound up making Loyal Chicago a three-point favorite. Also, wound up setting this all at 132.5. Vanderbilt has been very good with regards to their defensive efficiency. Currently seeing a straight 132, so I'm going to be looking at that over at 132.5. If I had to take this specific number, I'd be looking over before I'd be looking under because when you wind up getting a game like this, you do look at some late-game following, perhaps popping up as well. So, looking at the over and looking at 4.5 here with Vanderbilt. 877, 878 on the betting board. North Dakota State is going to be playing us to CSUN. CSUN is finding themselves between a 9.5 and a 10-point underdog, and your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 126 and a 127 with North Dakota State. I wound up saying them more around a 14.5-point favorite. This CSUN team has not been good. They were able to get that win over San Diego a few weeks ago, but past that, it's been very tough for an interim coaching staff. The old Jared Goffrey situation is not been great, and you don't have a single guy that's averaging double figures for the CSUN team. Do have a pair of guys giving you 9.6 points per game, and Elijah Hardy along with Aiton Wright. Both of these guys are shooting a combined about 32% from three as a collective CSUN, shooting 29% from three. Now, to their credit, they also do shoot 78% the free throw line, but they don't get to the free throw line very often when it comes to free throws attempts on a per-game basis, one of the lesser teams in college basketball. Then you've got a North Dakota State team that is quite disciplined, but at the same time, they don't necessarily generate a lot of steals. Either you do have Rocky Cruiser, so they will give you right around 39.5% three-point shooting. He's been able to chip in there 14 points, 7.5 boards. You've got Jarius Cook, who has been cooking a little bit more recently, right around a 40% three-point shooter is able to give this team 10.5 points per game. He is someone that at the beginning of the year was really lacking, but he's been able to give the team now double figures in three out of the last five games, so that has been very beneficial for this team. And then you just take a look at the other side for CSUN. Not a lot down low. Christian Gray has been able to give you six rebounds per game. CSUN has really cranked down their tempo, and North Dakota State, they themselves are a team that they are not looking to gun it either, so I did wind up saying this total at 124.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I do think that there's a good chance that we wind up seeing an old late game following because said North Dakota State as a 14.5 point favorite, or North Dakota State as a collective, they are shooting right around 73.5% the free throw line to help with that as well. So, going to be laying it here with North Dakota State, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as well. We move on to 879, 880 on the betting board. Memphis is going to be playing us to Murray State. Murray State is a 9.5 to a 10 point underdog in your Toronto game. Say we're between 142.5 and 143.5 when it comes to Memphis. Certainly is a team that has been underachieving thus far this year, but I think that they're going to be able to pick it up. I want up setting them more in the realm of about a 13-point favorite. You do have two explosive players when it comes to this Murray State team. That'd be Tevin Brown and KJ Williams. Both of these guys are shooting over 40% from three-point range with Brown, 18 points per game and five boards out there in the backcourt along three and a half assists per game. And then Williams, someone that's saying six foot ten while being able to bury those threes. 18 points, seven and a half rebounds per game, but you need to get a little bit more out of guys like a Trey Hannibal. He winds coming in from South Carolina. He's been able to give the team 11 points, five and a half boards, right around three assists, so he's been able to do a solid job there, but outside their top three scorers, Williams, Brown, and then you also throw in their Justice Hill, who's shooting 35.5% from three. No outside shooting when it comes to the scene. Meanwhile, for Memphis, turnovers, they are an issue for this team. They're turning the ball over 19 times per game, but they are able to shoot 34.5% from three. Imani Bates has been able to give you 11.5 points, just a uber-talented guy, Jalen Duran. He's been able to give you 10 points, eight boards, three and a half blocks per game. He is very good down low. Leslie Kionis, along with Landers Nully, are able to combine for right in the neighborhood of about 15 and a half points per game. I think that they're going to be able to do a relatively rock solid job there. And you take a look at this Murray State team. They do force right around eight steals per game, but I do think that Memphis is going to be able to take care of the ball a little bit more in this spot. Murray State, they have been relatively solid with regards to defensive efficiency, but I think that what Memphis is going to do is they're going to look to push the tempo. I think that they're going to have success with it. This is one of the fastest team with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball Memphis. So I do wind up saying them as a 13-point favorite. I think that they get back online. Set the soda at 146 as well. So going 
going over and landed here with Memphis. 881-882 on the bang board. Louisville is going to be playing us to DePaul. DePaul is finding themselves as an 8.5 to a 9-point underdog in your tournament game. It is between 144.5 and 146. I want to making Louisville an 8-point favorite. So here, anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9, going to be taking a shot on DePaul. I like what I'm seeing out of this team, especially Javon Freeman Liberty, one of the best names that you're going to find out there in college basketball when it comes to Freeman Liberty. He has been a sad sheet sufferer for this team. 22 points, 9 boards, shooting 42.5% from 3-point range with 2 steals per game, and then past him, you've had quite a few guys that have been able to step up the plate and be able to give this team some help. Brandon Johnson, 12 points, 7 boards. You've got a 36% 3-point shooter and 6'6 combo player. David Jones, who's packing the stat sheet, 16 points, 7.5 rebounds, even what you've been able to see out of the gentleman in Nick Ongenda, who's down low, giving the team right around 12 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. They have all been relatively solid. DePaul's collective has turned the ball over only about 12 times per game despite kicking it up tempo. And then you've got a Louisville team that is playing at one of the slower paces in all of college basketball. If you got one guy that's giving you more than 9 points per game, that'd be Noah Locke. Locke has been able to give you 11.5 points per game, but you take a look at him recently, and it certainly has cratered a little bit with regards to his production. In two out of the team's last four games, he's had two points or fewer, so that's been certainly an issue. Louisville, as a collective, is shooting 30 and Percent from three point range, 15 turnovers per game. Now they themselves get eight seals, and they should be able to win the battle down the. You've got Malik Williams giving you 9.9.8 rebounds per game, and then you've got Mr. Samuel Williamson, who's been able to give you only about six and a half points, five boards. He's been in a little bit of a funk as well. Jalen Withers should be able to give you five boards. So it's a team that's solid down low. They don't have a lot of outside shooting. I think that that's what's going to keep DePaul alive in this game. I think that this game is going to be quite a bit slowed down. Louisville just a little bit inefficient on offense, and DePaul, while they've been a little bit more up tempo. I do think that they're going to help get held down by a relatively solid Louisville defense as well. So, set this all at 136.5. I'm going to be looking at the under, and I'm willing to take the 8.5 slash 9 available to Paul. 883-884 on the bank board. UMKC is going to be playing us to UW-Green Bay. The Phoenix find themselves 8.5 point underdogs with your total and between 126 and 127. I say UMKC as a 9-point favorite. When it comes to UW-Green Bay, you've got Will Ryan, the son of Mr. Bo Ryan, currently at the helm for this team. You can tell that they are certainly trying to play like like Bo used to back in the day. Very, very slow, very, very controlled. Emmanuel Ainsung has been able to give you right around 14 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a nice job down low, but when it comes to UW-Green Bay, even though they don't turn the ball over really much at all, it's a bunch in which they turn the ball over about 11.5 times per game, which is solid. They don't have a lot of offense. They shoot 75% of the free throw line, so they do the little things well, but they're shooting 27.5% from three-point rate. John Van Ivory has been able to shoot 35.5% from three, 11.5 points per game for the transfer from Boise State, but really past that, you don't necessarily have a lot for this team. The gentleman that comes in from Turkey, Sam Kirchman, has been able to give you 4.5 points per game, but he hasn't necessarily been able to boom for this team. Now, Luke Stiebert has been able to give you right around 5 assists per game, but you take a look at the flip side for UMKC. Evan Gilliard, the transfer from New Mexico State, has been rock solid, giving you 11.5 points per game, shooting 45.5% from 3 for a collective that shoots 70% of the free throw line, 38.5% from 3-point range. They don't turn the ball over. Olek Vlach, Josiah Alec has been able to give you 10.5 points, 5.5 boards, someone that shoots 35% from 3 at right around 6'7", 6'8", so that's been great. And then you've also got Anderson Kopp. Comes in from Lamar, shooting 51% from three, 10.5 points per game. Got off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but 15 plus points in two of the team's last three games, eight plus in all three of them as well. So I do think that UMKC has the depth to be able to get through. They were dealing with a couple of injuries at the beginning of the year. They seem to be getting healthier in UW Green Bay, just not clicking on offense right now. Did wind up saying this out at 126 half. At the 127 I'm seeing, currently at the Westgate, I'll be taking a look at the under there. At 126 half, we'll be willing to dive under before I be willing to take an over just because these are 
are two very, very slow teams. So taking a look at an under and one to lay up to nine here with UMKC. So laying the eight and a half. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get the extra games. It's also my New York Post play of the day. 885, 886. You've got Colorado, and they're going to be playing us to UW-Milwaukee. Milwaukee is finding themselves as a 14 to 13 and a half point underdog in your Tallahassee game. It is between 133 and a half, seeing as I is 135 and a half out there as well, and when it comes to the New York Post play of the day, going to be going with UW-Milwaukee getting the points. This is a Colorado bunch that they have not been good on offense, to say the least. You take a look at them in their last five games that have not went to overtime in four of them. They have been held to below 61 points, so that certainly is a little bit of an issue for this team. Got a Colorado bunch that they are headlined by Jabari Walker. Actually, the son of Sabaki Walker has been able to give the team 14.5 points, 9 boards as a collective Colorado shooting for the year 31% from 3, but you take a look at them ever since their first 3 games of the season. They're shooting more around 25.5% from 3-point range. Evan Batty's been able to give you 13 points, 5 boards, but now you've got Pat Baldwin Jr. back in his first game back for UW-Milwaukee after the team had been held to 68 points or fewer in their previous 3 without him. They were able to get north of 70 in that game against Robert Morris, a win and cover and in that game, Pat Baldwin Jr went 6-6 six six from 3-point range overall this year. It's averaging 17.5 points, 8 boards. Him being out there on the floor is very meaningful to UW-Milwaukee. UW-Milwaukee without him on the floor. They're probably about a 50 team in all of college basketball in regards to players that mean the most to their team. Pat Baldwin is darn near the top when it comes to this team now. Being able to help him out, you do have Donovan Newby who's been able to give you 10.5 points per game, shooting 44% for 3, 87.5% the free throw line. And you take a look at UW-Milwaukee. Each other top 4 scores shoot at least 83% the free throw line. That is a redeeming quality with the team now. After that, you've got a little bit of a fall-off, but Jordan Lathan along Joey St. Pierre, these two guys are able to combine for about 11.5 rebounds per game, both giving you 5.6 points per game. They both have dealt with a couple ailments. Both of these guys should be good to go. And then Keyshawn Bartholomew on the other side for Colorado has been solid at the point guard spot with right around 12 points, 3 assists per game. Not necessarily the world's greatest 3-point shooter, but you can tell that this team misses their heart and soul piece from last year. And McKinley Wright, the fourth, they just don't look right. With UW-Milwaukee, I was willing to take them as long as I was getting 11 points or more here at a 13 and a half to a 14. I'm taking the points and that is a New York Post play of the day. I also think that with UW-Milwaukee playing how they are with regards to being a little bit more of an up-tempo team whenever Baldwin is out there on the floor, that needs to be adjusted for. Set the sold out 143, so going over and the New York Post play of the day is the Panthers of UW-Milwaukee. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas station order with these as well. This begins with 306, 109, 306-110. Brown is going to be playing us to Vermont. Vermont is finding themselves as a 1-1.5 one point road favor in your total on scheme. It's 126.5. What can Brown do for you? Well, if you have them win outright, you're going to be able to get a little bit of a plus price, but I don't think so here. With Vermont, I did wind up saying them as a 3.5 point favorite. When it comes to Vermont, this is a bunch that's headlined by Ryan Davis, who with regards to qualifying players last year was third in the country in points on a permanent basis. 17 points, 6 boards per game this season. Now, Vermont is only shooting about 26.5% from 3-point range, but Brown... They haven't necessarily been great with regards to their perimeter defense. You've also got Davis giving you a block and a half per game. I do think that Ben Jungu, along with Isaiah Boom Boom Powell, going to be able to do a nice job for the team. A combined 24.5 points per game. You're getting about 11.5 boards from these two as well. You don't necessarily have one main facilitator when it comes to Vermont, but you do have a glue guy in Robin Duncan. He's only averaging two points per game, but 3.5 boards, two assists, just does the very little and dirty things for the team. Finn Sullivan, along Cameron Gibson, Justin Mazzula, all these guys out there in the backcourt. Averaging between 5.5 and, and 7 points per game. So they are very good at knowing the role. And then for Brown, you do have to like what you're seeing in the backcourt for this team. 
game. Paxton Wojcik along with Dan Frieder combining for about 20.5 points per game. Keno Lilly Jr. more around 12.5 points per game. He's been able to shoot about 41% from three-point range. Brown has a collective. Shoots about 32% from three to 13.5 turnovers per game. Neither here nor there. And Temenning Cho, who on the beginning of the year a little bit banged up, he's been able to really find it recently. Double figures in each of the team's last three games, six plus fours in each of the last five, including a 21 rebound game against Bryant. So he has been able to pick it up after a slow start to the year, but I do think that Ryan Davis is going to be able to take him to task. I was expecting a little bit more out of Nana Osu Anane as well for this Brown team. He seems to be regressing five points or fewer in four of the team's last five games. So in this spot, set Vermont as a three and a half point favorite. Vermont in the last five years has been in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game every year. Brown is a team that is a little bit more oriented on defense as well. So set this out on 123 and a half, diving under and laying small number here with Vermont. 306-111, You've got NJIT and they're going to be playing us Army. Army is finding themselves between a two and two and a half point underdog with your total anywhere between 135 and a half and 136. When it comes to Army, I just have a lack of faith with this team. They've been one of the worst teams with regards to free throw shooting percentage the last few years in college basketball. And this year is really no exception for them. When it comes to Army, you do have a guy that I really like that's able to put up 16 points per game in Jalen Rucker. He's been able to do a nice job of flowing the offense with right around three assists, 1.3 steals per game, and a shooting 42% from three, but really outside of him. Your lone other main three-point shooter is Aaron Duhart, who's been able to shoot 40% from three-point range, 91% of the line, but only giving the team five and a half points per game. You've got one guy with a great last name, and Charlie Peterson, who's able to give you nine and a half points, right around seven boards per game, but you take a look at this Army team, shooting 62% free throw line, 31.5% from three, 14 turnovers per game, and then with NJIT, you've got a bunch that is headlined by Dylan O'Hearn, who's been able to give the team 20 points per game. He has been rock solid, along with Miles Coleman, who's been able to chip in their 15 per contest. O'Hearn shooting about 40% from three-point range. Both of these guys dole out right around two assists per game, and it's really a facilitation by committee. You've got each of your top four scores giving you anywhere between two and 2.6 assists per game. You've been able to get right around eight and a half points and six sports per game out of James Lee as well. This is not necessarily a big size, but they do a good job of just really knowing their role in general. They went with a tight rotation, but I think that Makai Gray, who's been able to give the team right around four and a half boards per game and has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, is going to be able to step up. Did wind up sending NJIT as a result as a five-point favorite. Made the subtle 141. I do think that there's going to be some late-game following NJIT. They're not great at the free-throw line, but shooting 70% compared to more like the 62% of Army is going to be the difference, in my opinion. So, I'm willing to lay it here with NJIT, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over 306-113-306-114. South Carolina State going to be playing as high point. High point hopes to not be at a low point, as they are anywhere between a 9 and 10-point favorite in your tallest game, and between 142.5 and 143. This is actually going to be a neutral court game, so that makes things a little bit more fascinating. And that said, I want to make a high point a 12-point favorite. I do like what I've been able to see out of this team, and then when it comes to South Carolina State, truly a bottom 25 team when it comes to all of college basketball. And they've actually upgraded a little bit from last year, as you do have a guy that's able to give you darn near 12 points, four boards, and two and a half assists per game in Cameron Jones. Jones is someone that has seen a little bit of dip in his production, five points or fewer in three of the team's last four games. And then you've got Mr. Do-It-All for a high point. That'd be John Michael Wright, 21 points, 5 boards, 4.7 assists, shooting 44.5% from three. He's able to give you a steal per game as well. Now down low, Zach Austin and Ed Oliver Hampton are both giving their respective teams between 7 and 7.5 seven and rebounds per game. But when it comes to South Carolina State, they have been less than south down low. They have been able to get right around 4.5 blocks per game to the credit of Jamel Davis. He's been able to give the team 7 points, 5 boards, and right around a block and a half per game. So that has been relatively solid for this team. You've also got Omar Croxley, who's been able to give you right in the neighborhood of about 9 points. But a guy that doesn't necessarily do the world's greatest job of stretching the floor, shooting about 33% for three-point range. But I do take a look at high point as well. What I think is going to be very key for this team is that now the 
pressure that you wound up having on John Michael Wright is being relieved a little bit by Jaden House. House has been able to shoot 42% from three, 12.5 points per game, so he's been able to emerge for this team, has been able to give out a little bit of facilitation as well. For high point team, that's shooting right around 37.5% from three, so I think that high point is going to be able to bury some threes against a defense in South Carolina State that really isn't great. Said high point has a 12-point favorite, so laying the points. Made the total 148.5 as well, so going over, and we wrap things up with 306-115, Boise State is going to be playing us a Prairie View. Prairie View is a 17 to a 17 and a half point underdog. Total on this game, it is 139. I have set this as Prairie View being an 11 and a half point underdog. I just have not liked what I've seen all season long out of Boise State. Boise State is a team that has really been playing much slower than they have in the past. You take a look at this bunch, and Abu Kiab has come in from the Pac-12, and he's looked relatively solid, but able to give the team 13 points, 7 boards, but take a look at Boise State. They're shooting 55% at the free throw line. That is in the bottom 5 in all of college basketball. Marcus Shaver Jr. shooting 38% from 3-point range with 11.5 points per game is nice, and then you've got Emmanuel Acott who's been able to give you 12 points, 3 assists, shooting 42% from distance. That has been relatively solid, but really past that, haven't gotten a lot of production. Malade and Armis should be the best pure rebounder in this game with right around 8 boards per game, but take a look at Juwan Daniels for Prairie View. He's been able to give the team 18 points per game. Prairie View, it ranks in the top 60 with regards to possessions per game, but Boise State certainly in the bottom 60, but when it comes to Prairie View, they play sloppy games because they turn the ball over 17.5 times per game, but at the same time, they force right around 10.5 steals per game, and that is headlined by Dwayne Cox. 2.5 steals, 8 points, 2.5 rebounds per game, shooting 50% from 3-point range, so he's been able to do a nice job there, and then you've got another 40-plus percent 3-point shooter, William Douglas, who's been able to give the team 11 points, chipping in there, 4.5 rebounds per game, actually saw some quality minutes while he was at SMU last year, so he's been able to come in, he's been able to give this team some very good effort down low. You don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding with this team, I was expecting a little bit more out of Maderick Bell, he winds coming in from the slack, he's only been able to give the team 3.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that they are going to be able to do enough, Prairie View is going to do to be able to hold in this game. I think the Boise State could be forced into some turnovers, and this is going to be a sloppy game. Set this total at 132, diving under, and willing to take the points here with Prairie View, and that will wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to Blake Lovell for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GRNSCORTY1. Keep in mind, letters EM, maybe does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that comments box of the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.